You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. All right, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. We are back with Caitlin, as promised, for our operating agreement Q&A episode. And we have a handful of questions here, and we're going to go down one by one. So, Caitlin, thanks again for coming back. Yeah, Tom, thanks for having me. Um, It's a pleasure to jump on here and talk about operating agreements a little bit more. So the first question is, can you allocate a different portion of the cost segregation, uh, aka the depreciation, basically, between the class A, B, and C interest holders? Yeah, you can especially allocate depreciation. I would say that's the most common thing we see specially allocated is depreciation um, amongst the different levels of interest in a partnership. Um, so yeah, allocating between A, B, and C, you can really break it up however you would like to. Um, you just work with your attorney you know, to make sure that's spelled out very clearly and make sure that your limited partners are... 100% sure of the depreciation that they'll receive because a lot of times those LPs are counting on the depreciation in the first few years to give them uh, passive losses. So just make sure everyone's clear on what they'll be allocated, the portion um, that will be allocated to them. But absolutely, you can specially allocate depreciation and it's something we see pretty frequently. Yeah. And just to kind of comment on that as well, I know there's a lot of investors out there who will specifically invest in uh, real estate syndications as a limited partner strategically to get a certain amount of depreciation for the year. So it's just something that, you know, if you're a limited partner, you're going to want to look at the operating agreement and see what you're being allocated to make sure that it aligns with your overall investment objectives, including the tax benefits you're looking to achieve. And uh, for general partners out there, like Caitlin said, it's just something you're going to want to keep in mind that that could be a potential selling point of your investment. And by uh, maybe not allocating it to limited partners, uh, you might you might lose some interest. So I guess it's important to know who your investors are and, and what they're looking for. Uh, now, Kayla, I'm not sure if, if you know the answer to this question or not, but we do see uh, some people ask about the self-directed IRA investors because, as you know, if you're investing through a self-directed IRA, uh, you're not subject to you know ordinary income tax rates the way you are. Although there's something called UBIT that you, that self-directed IRA investors might be used for. Would there be any issues with, say, allocating um, this all away from the self-directed IRA group of investors you have? I guess would, that would presumably presumably be under one class of investor. So from the partnership's perspective, as long as that allocation has substantial economic effect, you know, there's no uh, complications for the partnership itself. I, I personally don't deal with too many self-directed IRAs, so I can't speak to that part. Um, but ultimately, as long as your allocation has substantial economic effect and, you know, work with your attorney and your CPA to determine that you can allocate depreciation any way you want. It might be easier if you're trying to allocate depreciation away from those self-directed IRAs to group them all into one class in the partnership. I, I personally have not seen an operating agreement that just says specifically that no allocation will be made to self-directed IRAs. So I think lumping them in with a separate class uh, would probably be a better route to go if that was your intention. 
Um, one thing I did want to mention, Tom, with this question is something to consider when you're especially allocating expenses such as depreciation. You have to be aware of the recapture that's going to have to be paid when the property is sold. That depreciation that is specially allocated, the recapture will be allocated to those partners as well. A hundred percent. I think it's something for a lot of investors out there to be aware of is that the, the chickens do eventually come home to roost. So if you do take a, um, a very large amount of depreciation, that's, you know, again, that's not in line with your percentage interest. Uh, it could cause issues for you down the line, just something to be aware of and make sure that you have a full understanding of how that's going to impact your tax situation, you know, with your CPA. So we do have another question here. I'm not sure this is necessarily an operating agreement question per se, but it's kind of along the same lines and came in with the group of questions. And that is, you know, in, in what state do you have to file a K-1? Is it the state where the property is or the state where the owner lives, where, where their state of residence? Yeah, we see this question pretty frequently, especially with partnerships that have many investors. I mean, we're talking 10, 20, 100 plus investors. And ultimately, it, it all comes down to where your property is located and where your investors are located. So there's no black and white answer here. And the reason for that is each state has different state laws and jurisdiction laws. To start with, you will file a K-1 in the state that your property is located. Um, you know, unless you have a property in Florida where there's no state income tax, you're not passing a Florida K-1 to your investors at that level then. So your K-1 will first be located to the state that the property is located in. Um, so if I have a property in Georgia, I'm going to uh, distribute a Georgia K-1 to my investors. But where things get extra tricky is also where your investors are located. So California, for instance, has a rule that if you have a GP in California, although my property is in Georgia, I also have to issue a California K-1 and I have to file a California tax return. Now, my investors aren't going to be taxed in California. They don't need to file a California tax return. It's solely for this one investor who lives in California so that he has a California K-1. So if you're an investor, you're an LP, a GP, whatever you may be in a partnership and you receive multiple state K-1s, don't panic it's not likely that you're going to be taxed in all of those states because odds are the property itself is only located in one state. You know, things get a little complicated when you have multiple properties in multiple states, but generally if it's just a one property partnership, you know, you're only going to be filing taxes in, in that one additional state um, in addition to where you currently live. Got it, got it. So, you know, generally speaking, they're going to file a K-1 in the state where the property is located, and then they, they'll have to file their K-1 in the state of residence where they live, of course, because that's where they will ultimately pay uh, income tax. And, you know, there's some credits out there for everybody who's listening. I know what you're thinking. You don't have to pay tax in two states. Generally speaking, um, usually one state will issue a credit uh, for the income taxes paid for the other state, but it's just something to keep in mind and that's how it generally works. Any, any other comments, Kaylin, you have on this particular question? Yeah, one other thing I wanted to note here about state K-1s was when a state K-1 is passed to you, if there is income sourced to that state on your K-1, you do have a filing requirement in that state. So like I mentioned previously, you might receive multiple K-1s from multiple states, um, but you likely will not have a filing requirement in each state. And one other thing that I wanted to add there is 
When you have a loss passed to you uh, on a state K-1, it's important if you plan to recognize that loss later, even if you have, even if you're a passive investor. So you're an LP and you can't take advantage of the losses right now. If you want to use those losses in the future to offset your state tax liability when that property sells or when it's generating income, you have to go ahead and start filing those state returns so that those losses are carried forward. Because if you don't file, it'll it's just a lost loss. Yeah, you know, I, it, that's funny because, you know, I get a lot of questions about that from, from limited partners who invest, you know, they get all these K-1s like, oh my God, do I really have to file a state tax return for it? And, uh, you know, it, it really, I guess, depends, you know, when you're in a lost position, of course. But I think it really depends on the size of those losses and how important they would be to carry forward. To give you an example, I had a, a K when I received recently from a state, I'm not going to tell you what state it is, but um, the loss was very low. And I did all the math on it. And after, after doing the math, it was only going to save me a few bucks. So I decided, you know what, I'm not going to file the state K-1 because it's just too much of a hassle at that point to do it. So I just skipped it. But I mean, if there's sizable losses that are being passed through, you're definitely going to want to file that because you're leaving money on the table uh, in the future if you, if you don't if you don't end up uh, doing those losses because you can't just group them all together. That's another question I get a lot, actually, from clients. Can you group all these losses together on one K-1 from all these years? No, you have to, like Kaylin said, you have to file the K-1 with the loss in the year that the loss is reported on your K-1 in order to claim those in the future, something very important to, to, to keep in mind. Absolutely. And Tom, you, you bring up a great point here about not filing a K-1. And, you know, I mentioned pretty, pretty heavily earlier that you have to file if you have income on that K-1. And uh, when you, when you have a loss, typically you are still required to file. But as Tom mentioned, uh, there is a cost benefit analysis there. And so work with your CPA to determine is it worth it to file in this state? You know, we have charts and uh, calculations that'll model out um, if the benefit is worth the cost of filing that return. Moving on to the next question. So only if the preferred return stay in the op agreement, would it be treated as ordinary active income? And if the returns are above the stated percentage, uh, would they be ca categorized as passive losses? Uh, for instance, if there was a preferred return of 6% and the return ended up being 10%, would the 6% show up on the K-1 as ordinary income and the, and the, and the rest be not, not be, not show up that way? Yeah. So to summarize that, Tom, cause that was, that was a loaded question there. Um, I think what you're asking is the guaranteed payment part that we talked about last week, you know, is treated as ordinary income and subject to your ordinary rates and, if you have a 6% stated preferred return that's treated as a guaranteed payment, uh, but ultimately as an investor, you're past 10% of the profits for the year, will your K-1 show the 6% or the 10%? And the answer to that question is in the box that shows guaranteed payments, it will show the 6% stated preferred return amount. And then the additional profit that you are allocated will be in box two where your net rental real estate income and loss is. So only that portion of the guaranteed payment, that 6% is going to be subject to the ordinary rates and everything else will be displayed in box two. Got it. Got it. Now, so that's important to understand. It's only the preferred return being categorized as a guaranteed payment, not the, not the entire return necessarily from the investment. 
All right, and we have one more question here. It's a legal question. So uh, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna read the question, but you're ultimately gonna have to speak to your attorney about this one, just something for everybody out there who is listening. Whenever you're doing an operating agreement, there are legal portions and then there are accounting and tax portions. And usually your accountant, your CPA can help you with the accounting and tax portions of that operating agreement but they're not going to be able to help you with the legal portions. And that question was, can you have different classes of units in order to have unit holders that don't have any voting rights in the LLC? Uh, so the answer to that question is we're not hundred percent sure. Um, and even if we did know the answer, we wouldn't be able to provide you that because we're not attorneys. So again, just something to keep in mind when you are working on these things, you do that. You definitely want to have a team in place, including an attorney. Believe it or not, that was actually all the questions we received on operating agreements. Um, if anybody has any more, always feel free to send them at contact at the And if we get a, a ton of new questions, we might just do another episode at some point in the future, um, because this is a very popular topic for uh, general partners of syndications, as well as limited partners. And it's definitely something that you want to understand. Uh, so I just want to thank Kaylin so much for coming on again for the third episode. And I'm sure we'll see Kaylin again in the future. Thanks, Tom. And thanks again for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.